information that we are sharing today is our own personal experiences and does not constitute as medical advice. Please check with your doctor for medical advice that is suited to you and your condition. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Take a Pain Check. I am very much hyped for today's episode. Today we have a very talented and special guest, Michael Kaluba. Um, Michael is an American fashion designer and the founder of New York's Fashion Week label, Tumblr and Tipsy from Los Angeles, California. Also a competitive US figure skater while touring on the Disney on Ice show as the principal performer. And I can honestly go on about Michael's career and all of the accomplishments, but all I wanna do is actually hear from Michael himself. So, hey, Michael, we're really glad to have you on today and here with us to share your story. Would you be able to start off by introducing yourself? Sure. I'm Michael Kaluba. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm from Los Angeles, California. Um, Today, I'm calling in from Toronto, uh, Ontario in Canada. So I'm on the other coast right now. Um, But yeah, I am the designer and founder of Tumblr and Tipsy, which is a fashion label from the U.S., and uh, we're sold all over the world. And I used to be a competitive figure skater. I'm also a rheumatoid arthritis patient and warrior and advocate as well. Um, I work on many levels for advocacy for arthritis and for other causes as well, but I really try to focus on arthritis. Wow, that's a lot that you, you're, on, you're carrying on your plate. So yeah. when did you kind of diagnose with RA and like what joints are really affected? Um, I was diagnosed around 10 years ago. Um, I was in school going to college for my design degree in fashion. Um, I was in Los Angeles going to the Fashion Design Institute. And I was just walking from class to class and my back totally gave out. And so I pretty much like fell to the floor. And I was like, what is up? Like the pain was crazy. So I literally called my doctor and was like I think I have a kidney stone like I've never had this like sharp like sharp jabbing pain in before and so they did all these tests and they couldn't find anything and then he just suggested that I go to a arthritis doctor and I was like okay well what does that mean exactly like I'm too young for that and uh they did some tests and my body lit up like a Christmas tree um but I was misdiagnosed a couple times at the very beginning they thought I had psoriatic arthritis which I wasn't really sure of because I didn't have any psoriasis so I didn't really understand how they got to that conclusion so I made a couple other appointments and saw some other doctors and finally they came down with that I had rheumatoid arthritis you kind of had this long journey of figuring out what arthritis you actually had. So how did you, like, what was your initial feeling when you got to know that you had arthritis? What was kind of going on in your head? Well, this was also about 10 years ago. So a lot of what we have like right now, we didn't have. So for me to even talk to you guys, we just didn't even have this. So the first thing I looked into was different groups of how I could communicate with the arthritis community. And I was looking at different channels online. A lot of it was web-based um, and they looked like that, like local chapters here and there, but most of it was, it was pretty negative. Like a lot of this, a lot of the people were negative on these um, blogs and they didn't have a lot of good things to say. It was more like what they were going through, which was very painful to hear. But at the same time, there's also more uplifting things too that can be done so that you don't go into those spirals. So. Yeah. Um, I just really felt that those groups weren't for me and I kind of 
left it at that for a little bit and decided to return to um, the arthritis community on my own terms when I was with Creaky Joints and had a platform for my voice. Yeah. I find that like that's what Natasha and I experienced as well. And we were diagnosed like very young. So for us as well, like you hear adults kind of tell you like, this is how you should be feeling. This is how, this is what you're going through. And this is what you should be taking. Natasha and I really came back to the arthritis community when we started this, because before that we kind of leaned on each other for support and our friends, but we didn't really lean on any groups or any communities for support because there was really nothing that was targeted just for us. And I, I think that is a part of the story that we really relate to. Yeah, it was very difficult. It feels like you're um, very isolated. Um, and already during a pandemic, this was years ago, this is what it felt like, like you're in a pandemic, you were alone in your house, and um, you would go to bed at seven o'clock at night. And you know, that's what it was like, you didn't really have time to hang out with your friends, or you would go to school and take all the energy out of you. So I think half the battle was trying to figure out what you have. And then from there is figuring out how you deal with it. And for me, it wasn't going on that spiral staircase down. I wanted to go up. So I kind of left that all behind. I kept it a really big secret. Um, I didn't tell many people at all about that I had arthritis. And um, it, it was good for me up until a point where I did have an opportunity and a platform to then tell my story the way I wanted to tell it and not in a way that I wanted people to feel sorry for me because I don't, it's not, it's, it's, it's my own thing. I want people maybe to build off of it and get stronger maybe from my story. Yeah. Yeah. It's super empowering how now you sort of come up with all of this and you have realized that you have a support in a way, like I know you mentioned creaky joints. And so before we kind of dive into like creaky joints and like what it is specifically, how did your, day-to-day life changed with your condition and what was your life like before and then after I know it was 10 years ago but um Mm. yeah so before um as you know I was on tour with Disney on ice I'd be in a new city every three to four days so I lived a very very um stressful and um very complex lifestyle um I I loved it, but my body didn't. So I could tell when I turned around like 26 or so that like my body was like, okay, it's time to like shut her down for a little bit. So that's when I decided to go to school and that's when everything kind of unfolded. And I'm kind of glad it did and it didn't happen while I was on tour skating because I feel like I would have so much more of um, guilt from leaving the tour because my body wouldn't be able to handle it and quitting on my entire you know tour then then at least I can re-manage my school studies and get my school um, on the same page as me for my disability. Um, On the question of how it changed completely, I was a very active person. I'd be going and doing things all the time, seeing my friends, see my family, take my dog for a walk all the time. And then once I kind of started on the medications and I started getting diagnosed with it, it, like, I don't know, I was always in bed. I was in bed probably from seven to seven in the morning. Um, I didn't really have a social life. And um, at that point I was going to school and just working really hard on my label. So I kind of let it outweigh itself a little bit, probably a little too much. 
but I did. And um, some great things came of it and some other things, you know, I had to wait for until I had the time to really devote to a personal life. It's very interesting to see how day to day your life really did change and how you kind of had to very quickly adapt to it. But were you relieved to have a diagnosis and kind of know how to solve not solve, but how to manage your disease to the extent that you could kind of live a normal life again. Yeah, I learned how to manipulate things to my advantage of now, okay, this is what I have. This is how I'm going to have to do things. I don't book anything past seven. I don't, I don't book anything um, that's late at night that I cannot for sure 1000 commit to. If I do book something that like, say it's a fashion week show, I have to take a nap or make sure that I sleep into a certain time so that I offset my schedule a bit. Um, I have to do things like that. Yeah. And then I also have to, um, the biggest thing for me was um, kind of giving things away to other people on my team to do because I was always doing it myself. And I really, I couldn't even use scissors at one point. So I really had to, you know, give away a lot of things that I love to do. But at the same time, it probably led me to do other things that I would never even really pursued so you know things outweigh themselves and I think they have a way of working themselves out you just have to have the right attitude for it I think that's a very big um, part of having a chronic condition is learning where your recovery line lies and that and learning that it's not the same as everyone else's I think we had a speed skater on previously on our podcast and she said the same thing is that your body really can't do the same things everyone else can do. And I feel like learning how to deal with that, especially when you look normal on the outside is very tough. Yeah. And people do mistake it a lot. Even still, I get looks when I have to use my um, disabled placard or whatever. I look like, of course, I look younger than I am, number one. But then again, I look small and I get out of a car or something. I'm like, why is this kid parking here? And I'm like, yeah. first of all, I'm not a kid. And second of all, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's hard to judge people from the outside like that. Yeah, yeah. totally. The whole like invisible disability and how people can't see it. It just makes them like they are then it makes them feel like they can make those comments and it sucks because we go through those things and people don't understand what they're saying and so like on that note because we were talking about skating and fashion and all of that you were like a professional skater so where did your passion for skating come from um, you know, it's an individual sport. I think that for me, um, I'm an only child too. So I'm just really self-competitive with my with my own self. So I didn't have a pair partner or anything. So for me, it was just about me driving myself to the next level, to the next level, to what I could do next. And um, it just became a career out of being a hobby. Yep, I competed. My last competition was in 2004. And um, that was for the major league figure skating. And I got I think third in that competition. Yeah. And then that was when I was like, okay, I'm just going to do shows and I, I'm not skating um, like, for competition anymore. And I don't, I don't like the competition aspect as more of the performing aspect. I think if I would have looked as competing more as performing, I would have enjoyed it more, but it was just, um, I just had, didn't have that mindset back then. How did you manage to cope through RA being at school full-time and having all of these things going on and internships? school and all of that going on at once 
Um, you know, I had to be very honest with my school. I think you have to be very transparent when you're at that level um, of schooling. And uh, you have to sit down with your, you know, your headmaster, whoever it is, and in charge of your department and let them know what you're going through so they can accommodate you. And they should accommodate you. You're not like any other student that's going to the school. You do have a disability. So they were able to keep some of my supplies in the classroom. I was able to have a special parking place where in the trunk of my car, I could keep most of my supplies as well, my textbooks. So I could just go up and down the elevator. Um, those were special accommodations I had to get made for me. But that was something that my, my family, my doctor, and I all pursued with the department heads and the headmaster of the schools. But I think everyone, if they have any disability, should be, um, you know, able to have the same playing field as everyone. If you can't literally carry your supplies, that's not fair. So, um, yeah, you should speak up. Yeah. I feel like that's still such a big issue. Like schools across the board should have like a standardized disability kind of thing so that everybody, you know what you have to do. Cause I know for my school, like each semester you have to resubmit all your paperwork, which is a headache. Uh, it is a headache, yeah. It's a lot of paperwork. So I think standardizing all the paperwork and especially when you have an invisible disability that you have to constantly prove that you have I think that's a standardizing those papers is a really big deal. Yeah, I agree with that, especially if you're going to a two-year or four-year school to having to do it once. Um, But again, standardizing it, like we all are different with our situation. So, I mean, there has to be certain accommodations for each person on all different levels of disability. So I think that, yeah, that paperwork feels ridiculous. You should only have to fill that out once, especially if you have RA, that's not something that's going away (laughs) or any type of arthritis like that. Yeah. Even in high school, because I'm in high school, um, it's so hard to prove that you have a disability, like, because it's so invisible, teachers are just like, no, like, you don't deserve it. I can't see your swollen finger today. You shouldn't get your accommodation. So it's really great that you were able to be accommodated during your time of schooling. In terms of fashion, because I know it's very, like, hands-on, I, how did your arthritis really affect your fashion and the work that you do? Um, it affected it a lot. My drawing was the first thing to go. Like, I can't draw like I used to or even try to anymore. Um, I can sketch a little bit, but everything's done on computers now, which is really lucky for me, um, being that most digital portfolios is what everyone wants to see. So when I went to school, um, they still wanted you to hand sketch everything, which I think you should. I think you should learn how to do it. But they were just switching over to Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator then. Um, so I've kept up those skills. And I think that that's been very important for me in transitioning from um, pencil and paper, a pen and paper to uh, a computer screen. The whole drawing aspect of it, yes, it is important. But I feel like for specific subjects, like Trish and I talked about this. For example, I had art class at grade eight. And the teacher literally told me that because, so like my fingers were swollen, I could not draw. And he was like, you have to sculpt this fish or something and you have to design it. I was like, I can't do it. Can you accommodate me? And he, and so I really tried my best with the swollen fingers that I had. And he was like, oh, it looks like you have dyslexia. Like he said so many rude comments. You can't say things like that because if I can't draw because my hands hurt, then you've got to find something else. Like you're a teacher for a reason, right? 
And I feel like there's so many instances, even last week I had a French project, the teacher's like, you have to draw this planet. And I'm like, how does drawing a planet determine my ability to speak French? And it's just like, there's so many different like drawing situations and all that. And because of technology, they should be able to figure something out. It's so much easier for you now because you can use technology to figure out your sketches. And so I think technology is a big thing and people need to really use it and realize that you don't need to use your pencil and paper if you can't do it. I don't know. It's just a struggle. It's called Arthritis Planet. (laughs) (laughs) Arthritis Planet. What a great idea. But yeah. (laughs) How did, um, how did Tumblr and Tipsy really come to be? So um, I was on the flight back from New York from Fashion Week and I was thinking um, like, this is just like, I can do this myself. Like I want to do it myself. I want to do my own thing. They're, they're just getting my designs and selling them for $50,000. Like I want to switch that up. So um, I was reading a poem to many tumblers of whiskey. Might make you a little bit tipsy. And so I put Tumblr and Tipsy together. And it was right at the time of 2009 when that, term tipsy became really big with Nicki Minaj and a lot of rappers started using it in their music and um, it became really fun it was a really cool pop culture um, phenomenon at that time yeah that's great I'm glad you were so creative to do something like this I'm not creative like you mentioned fashion week and stuff so how how did you feel to attend fashion week I've never (laughs) to do with (laughs) how did you feel what was it like um, it's very nerve wracking. Um, you work oh, so many hours. Like I worked for months and months and months on a show that lasted 10 to 15 minutes. Like it's so short in comparison of how much it, effort it takes and money and just everything. It's just, it's so much work for such a short period of time, but it, it's so amazing. It's so much fun and it brings so many people together and it's a platform that I've been able to have for about 10 years now. So I'm just so grateful that I do have that platform to push out my designs and also awareness for arthritis. How did you feel when Kendall Jenner walked for you? Um, you know, I was always excited for Kendall. Um, there was a couple people that I turned down before. Um, I was given a few options that year of who wanted to close and kind of be my headliner. Um, and I picked Kendall out of everybody. I just felt like she was going to be like the next it girl. And I just had like the second feeling of it. I went to school with her sister, Chloe. So I did know them a little bit before. I just didn't know them that well until I started working with them, but they're amazing. I love them. Your gut feeling was correct. Yes, it was. I know. I couldn't believe I was like, okay, she's a Victoria's Secret model, cover of Vogue. I was like, dang, (laughs) where it all started. (laughs) Arthritis kind of affected the way you sort of did things um, in terms of your fashion. So did you have any like for sure times where you just said, I don't want to pursue this because of my arthritis? Um, How did that work? Yeah, I think there's always ups and downs with every career. Um, You always are going, especially with fashion, just reinvent yourself every year is very, it's very tough. So you have to think of what's next, what's going to be hot, what's going to sell on top of, you know, trying to stay within a price point for your consumers. So it's a, it's an all around, it's a hard ball game. Um, I think that each year I get inspired by younger people like you guys and people that, are always wanting to pursue fashion or 
have a disability that they can't pursue their dreams or don't feel that they can. And they, I try to get them a platform that they can. So I really try to push the level with the label on many different levels from people that have the disability to fans to, um, you know, the everyday person that just, you know, comments on my Instagram or something. And it's such like one of those things that you're just like, oh, okay, I can do this. I need to do this. I need to push forward. And I think that really kind of, it's all because of everyone out there that I keep going forward. Wow. So inspirational. <laughs> so tell us about your newest Tumblr and Tipsy runway collection for this year. Oh my goodness. Um, well, we haven't really done a lot with it yet. It's coming about very slowly. Um, this is about the time of the year that I start pushing towards the future of it. Um, I am working with a really big celebrity um, for a really cool collaboration that will be out in September during Fashion Week. Um, so I will let you guys know more about that soon. But that is all being done right now. So it's a lot's going to be happening for September, which we're really excited for. And hopefully um, everyone's going to be really safe and we can either do something virtually again or maybe some a little bit in person, a little bit virtual too. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we got to see how it is. Well, your yeah. virtual one looked pretty cool. Like Natasha and I were checking it out. Like it looked really good. Thank you. Yeah. It was the first time we really had to push ourselves into that realm of doing it, not at fashion week. So uh, we wanted to recreate it and have that feeling that people were just at home and relaxed and able to watch the show. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it was really nice. We watched it. It was great. Um, so I really like how you sort of implement like your arthritis and like, I know some of, I was like looking at your website for the label and like some of the clothes that are there and I like how you use your fashion and then arthritis and merge it together to create some sort of awareness and like initiative. Like that is super cool. So what do you think your future is kind of going to be looking like in terms of fashion and arthritis and awareness and advocacy and all that? Um, so yeah, I am moving forward with everything. I am on the board of the Canadian Arthritis Patient Alliance. I am also um, going to be on another board for arthritis coming up. I'm on a research team for arthritis and I'll be probably working with Creaky Joints again this year on something. So um, yeah, I'm always doing something with advocacy. Um, the fashion line will always have something with arthritis. Um, there's always an underlying tone with it whether it's being having somebody being featured in it that has the disability on the runway to having clothes that glow in the dark that show an invisible disability. So um, just trying to figure out what we're going to do this year, because we never want to do the same thing twice. <laughs> we always want to try to up ourselves. And that's, again, me just being competitive by being an only child and you <laughs> know, to um, one up myself. So um, I just got to think of the next and it usually it comes to me. So when it comes to me is the question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Keep us posted. We would love to look at what some of the works that you're doing and just enjoy, be entertained, watch, get some inspiration for what we should wear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so you mentioned like all these initiatives that you are kind of working on that is not to do with fashion. So like Kappa, um, Creaky Joints. So if you could kind of tell our audience like what Kappa, TV joints, all of this is in more detail sort of and like what your role is specifically, that would be great. Yeah, so um, with Kappa, I'm on the steering committee. And so um, I'm on the board with them and we go through 
everything, I think from A to Z with that uh, organization. They do everything from grassroots. Everyone is a patient on the board, which is great because everybody understands everybody else. Um, it's a really great group of people and they're, they just work so hard just to make everyone else's life easier that has a disability. And I just commend them so much for having that, um, that organization and also to be just making it move forward in such positive ways. So I love working with them. Um, and then I also work with Creaky Joints every year. Um, I'm more of like a spokesperson, I would say, with Creaky Joints. And um, we team up together to build awareness on many different platforms. And this year, we did it with um, the virtual fashion show that was also, you know, on many different realms on YouTube, on Facebook on Twitter and then Instagram. And I think it was also on TikTok. So we tried to cover as many places as possible so that we had the best outreach so that everyone could see it. We wanted everyone to be inclusive on that. Okay, so moving on, because we've kind of talked about your fashion, your skating, and we kind of wanted to get into your YouTube. So we've watched uh, a lot of your videos. Sorry, I kind of blanked out there. And watching your getting through the pandemic with RA and a fashion career videos are amazing. So my question to you is, do you live by yourself throughout the pandemic? And how has that really been on you physically and mentally? Um, Well, I don't live by myself. I have a French bulldog named Gus that lives with me as well. And he's in the other room right now. And then I also have my partner, Corey. Um, He's a doctor. And so I live with both of them. And we've been getting through it. Um, we got Gus literally a week or two before the lockdown of the pandemic last year. And we had no idea it was coming. It was just kind of, it yeah. was just timing for it. And I've always loved having a dog because it makes you want to get out and makes your daily routine. And I think that's so important to have a daily routine, especially with a disability, to get up, get showered, feed the dog and just keep yourself moving. Because once you stop moving your body is when I feel things really go downhill. So yeah, it is. Um, I've just been trying to keep myself busy. Um, I did start uh, my YouTube up. I always kind of just had it there. I've always kind of just let our videos go on and my assistants would put different videos up at certain times, but it didn't really concentrate on it too much. This past year where we've had the pandemic, there's been a lot more time for me to use my video camera and, you know, feel more comfortable behind just talking to a phone (laughs) (laughs) or a camera Um, and nobody else is around and getting used to, you know, vlogging. Um, I am not, you know, in high school or anything. So a lot of this stuff is new for me and I'm, it's mostly just trying to get comfortable, I think with all of it, um, and how much you actually want to divulge that's going to be out there forever. So, um, creating that YouTube channel during that time of the pandemic last year was a great, um, outsource for me. And then also for others to, Hey, you're not in this alone. This is what I'm going through you know, and I got such a great response out of it that we were able to continue it with doing the fashion videos. And I also got invited to do some beauty reviews and it was just kind of like fun stuff and just kind of make it really white and fun and unboxings of stuff. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think YouTube does create some sort of change no matter what you do. We're on YouTube. So yay. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we're obviously creating change, which is great and support. How has COVID-19 actually affected your career? I know you mentioned like virtual and all of that, but how has it actually impacted you? Um, it's really pivoted me to not make public appearances. <laughs> this is um, the new normal for us, right? Doing these type of interviews, um, which is fine with me. I, I enjoy this. Um, I'm able to stay at home safely and um, it works around a lot of people's schedule, which I like. We get a lot more done. Um, I think that we've had to really push ourselves into the whole virtual realm that we weren't ready to go in yet, but we needed that really good push and this was it. So I think for me, um, traveling has really stopped a lot. And um, I think just socialization, like usually I go out to dinner and do all these things. And now you kind of have like virtual fun and virtual dates and, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a whole new life. And um, it's just, it's a little awkward. I'm, I like to, you know, go out to dinner and have fun with my friends. And it's a little different to have to do it over the phone now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that is a big impact. Like Natasha and I have known each other for probably about a year now and we've never met in real life. And yeah. we, we talk every day, we text every day. And, you know, it, it's kind of how friendships have come to be throughout COVID-19. And so to end it off, we want to ask you for any tips for anyone with JIA or RA when they're diagnosed young who wants to really go into fashion or just pursue a career in fashion? Um, I would say go to school, of course, um, start taking some art classes, get some drawing classes going in school, um, get your sketchbook out and get some textiles, get a sewing machine and just start practicing on your own. See what you like to do. And um, you're going to need that anyways for your portfolio to get into fashion school. So you might as well just start it. And um, there's a lot of great even classes um, online that you can take now. And I would just, you know, start from YouTube, really. Um, yeah. It's probably the easiest. And, you know, I, we didn't have that back then. So for me, I was um, interning and learning hands on. I think right now there's probably not a lot of internships going on. So I would say try to do as much as you can from home and uh, yeah, utilize the internet as much as you can. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I do create my own clothes just for myself. Like I'm not really ready, yeah. but I definitely like utilize the internet and like kind of working from that standpoint. YouTube is such like, it has intros for literally everything. So using that to your advantage and to learn from is such, especially when you have a lot of time to do kind of nothing, you know, learning a new hobby is always fun. Exactly. And so we just really like to thank you for coming on. And, you know, I just like, you're such an inspiration to watch and to like, even like your YouTube videos and your fashion. Thank you guys so much. And I'm so glad that you guys have started this platform and please continue with it. This will be a great outlet for both of you for many years to come. So keep it going. Thank you so much for coming on. So for everyone just listening, check out all of Michael's social medias, the website for Tumblr and Tipsy purchase some stuff, you know, all that stuff. We will purchase some stuff too. Um, but everybody, we'll see you next week on Take a Pain Check. Bye. Bye. I can't hide Cause common pains are keeping me there